As many of you know, I've studied history during my time at Murray State, and I, I love to read history. I've, I've got two or three different books that I read at any given time, and, and inevitably one of those is something about history. And, and, and I love, in particular, um, 20th century history. Just That's when I was born, and that's what uh, has most immediately shaped my world and my life. And in, in the context of that 20th century history, I, I'm particularly intrigued by, uh, by studying or at least reading a little bit about different generations uh, in that. And um, what's interesting to me is to note the differences between generations. Uh, th- there are probably at least four different generations represented here in our service. And of course, if we went uh, over to Worship Kid Style, we could, could add one more to it. But but I, I've got some information that I've found. I, I think it's pretty interesting, and I want to read a, a few of these things to you as I kind of introduce what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, there's a generation that has been called uh, various terms, but uh, Tom Brokaw wrote a book and called it The Greatest Generation. Maybe some of you have read that book. And uh, How many of you proudly can say you were born between 1900 and 1945? Raise your hand if that's you. Proudly can say that, all right? Absolutely. No, no shame in that. That would be typically associated with what would maybe be known as the greatest generation. Uh, how about uh, born between 1946 and 1964, the baby boomers? Where are you? Now look around. Look how many we got. We got a bunch of baby boomers. And that's typical because there's a bunch of you. All right. Now, I, I moved to my generation, Generation X, which just is just generic and nobody even knows what we're about. Who was born between 1965 and 1980? Raise your hand. All right, you're just as confused about life as I am, right? Absolutely, yeah. Isn't it great, you know, Generation X, because they don't know what else to call you. Stop and close prayer for all of us. Um, and then the, the, the next generation above that, uh, known as the Millennials, because obviously they were born and then came of age when the dawn of the new millennium happened, 1981 to 2000. Where are you? Okay, now we may have a few in that next generation in here and certainly uh, in, in over in uh, worship kids style, but let me read you a few things that, that studies have shown are fairly typical about these various generations. Those in the greatest generation, 1900 to 1945, your major influencers in life typically were World War II, the Korean War, Great Depression, the New Deal. Uh, you were raised by parents typically that had just survived or were in the middle of surviving the Great Depression and went through the war. That's what your shaping influences typically were. Those in the baby boomers, your influencers were civil rights, the Vietnam War, the sexual revolution, the Cold War. Uh, What's interesting about your generation, uh, the baby boomers, that you have the highest divorce rates and second marriages of any generation in history. It's interesting. It shaped who you are. Generation X, shaped by Watergate. Dual, which is just talk about confusion, dual income families and single parents. We were the first generation of latchkey kids whose parents maybe were not around. Our perceptions are shaped by growing up having to take care of ourselves early and watching their politicians lie and their parents get laid off and so on and so forth. That's, that's why we're so confused. Uh, the millennials, if you're 1981 to 2000, you are children of digital media in a child-focused world where your shaping influences included school shootings and terrorist attacks. You typically grew up as children of divorce. 
If you are a Greatest Generation member, some of your core values probably include an adherence to rules, a contribution to the collective good, hard work, loyalty, patriotism. If you're a baby boomer, your core values may or may not include anti-war, anti-government, equal rights, and equal opportunities, those shaping influences. If you're Generation X, your core values may include balance and diversity, self-reliance. The millennials typically are focused on achievement. They're highly tolerant. They're self-confident, and they are our country's most educated generation. This morning, we're going to talk about the role of authority, particularly focused on Jesus, and it's interesting when you note the differences among the generations and their view of authority. The greatest generation. Authority, typically for them, is based on seniority and tenure. The baby boomers were originally skeptical of authority, but are becoming similar to their parents in that other generation that time equals authority. Those in my generation, Generation X, skeptical of authority figures, will will typically test authority repeatedly. The millennials will test authority often, but, but usually will seek out somebody to help them and give them advice. The view of authority in a one-word statement for the, for the greatest generation is respectful. They're respectful of authority. The baby boomers are typically impressed by authority. Those in Generation X are unimpressed by authority. And the millennials tend to have a relaxed attitude toward authority. They can take it or leave it. It's interesting, I think, to study those generational differences because when we talk about a topic like authority, we have at least four generations represented in here with at least four different views of what authority is or should be or is not or whatever. Obviously, if you trace the history of authority, several different things can come to mind. Different authorities that people have yielded to in the past. God, a a king, the church, government, the military, law, uh, the popular vote, uh, the the will of the crowd, uh, police officers, sports officials, parents, teachers, coaches, and, and some have themselves as their own authority. Many in our world today, because of the different abuses that we've seen by authorities and because of our influences that shaped our attitudes, maybe now we view authority as a dirty word, something that's negative. And our our prevailing thought in many cases is, who are you to say this or that to me? You ever heard that? Well, who are you to tell me what I should do and what I shouldn't do? Or, don't judge me. You're not my authority not in control of me. Or my, my favorite, uh, which is the worst piece of advice I think you could ever give somebody, quite honestly, uh, it, depending upon the context, of course. But our prevailing thought is, is, follow your heart. You're your own authority. Just do whatever's in your heart to do. It's a whole different sermon, but at the same time, that's not really good advice. What I hope to show us today is the truth from Scripture about authority and what really God wants us to view it as. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We're continuing a series this morning that we paused last week to talk about Mother's Day. We're going to pick it up again this morning. What we're looking at is Mark's account, uh, his fast-moving account of the ministry of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, all included uh, in Mark. And he gives us a very, very quick-moving account of what's taking place here. Uh, What we've done so far, we began actually with the end and kind of introduced this, that this is an account that seems to be sort of that to-be-continued model. 
Mark ends his gospel in such a way that you know there's more coming and it's going to be lived out in the lives of individuals and in the life of the church to come. So what we've seen so far is how Jesus' ministry was launched. We've seen the message of his kingdom and we saw two weeks ago the calling of his first disciples. And today we'll see the amazement that people have at his authority. Look with me, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. That was his habit. They were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. The response of the people to the authority of Jesus in this particular passage seems to be very different than how we might typically respond to authority in our world today. Most of us in here are not of the generation that has a healthy respect for authority and yields to it on a regular basis. Most of us in here have a little different view of that. All of us have people in our lives who would question authority all the time, and yet we get a little different view of the response to the authority of Jesus. These people were amazed. They're overwhelmed. To, to say they're amazed is they didn't know what to say when they encountered the authority of Jesus. They're speechless. They begin to discuss among themselves, what, what is going on? Who is this guy? He teaches with authority. Now, they had the same problems with their authorities in their day that we have with our authorities in our day. They weren't necessarily any different than us. They just had a different stage of life, and they're in a different time period, obviously. But Jesus shows them and shows us that contrary to popular opinion, authority is not a dirty word. Authority is not a dirty word. Now, for some of you, say, amen, absolutely. For some, you say, ah, <laughs> I'm in that Generation X. I'm still confused about life. I don't know about your authority stuff. Or I'm, I'm a baby boomer, and I tell you what, I, you know, the guy that I got at work that I work for, I'm not so sure about him and so on. But I want you to know that based upon the experience that we see here in Mark chapter 1, Authority is not a dirty word. I'll let you know today's sermon is not going to be uh, to put ammunition in the hands of parents to go beat your children over the head and say, see, the preacher said authority is good. Now listen to me and do what I tell you to do. Probably not the best approach to children in the first place, just so you know, I happen to have a short amount of experience with children. That, that hadn't worked in our house too well. Um, but, so it's not, I'm not trying to give you ammunition just to go and pound your children into submission by telling them to respect and listen to your authority. I'm not trying to give employers a reason to be harder on your employees because you're the authority and they should listen to you and do what you tell them to do. I'm not going to rant against young people who don't respect authority and, and question it all the time, I, who need a greater respect for it. I'm not going to rant against all of that. Our problem, I really believe, in our churches as Christians, in our communities, in our country, our problem at its core is not that we simply need to have a greater respect for authority. That may help in some cases, but that's not the problem at its core. I really believe that our problem, at its gut level honest, uh, right there at the core, 
as Christians, as churches, as communities, as a country, is that we no longer live completely under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's our problem. Our problem is not that we need to respect our bosses more. Maybe we do. Our problem is not we need to respect our teachers more. Maybe we do. Our problem is that we have now moved out from under the authority of Jesus Christ, and everything because of that has gone haywire. The results are obvious. And unfortunately, they're not only obvious, but they're disastrous in our country, and not just in our country, but in our communities, even here in Murray and Callaway County, and even in our churches, and certainly in our lives. Our experience with authority has caused us to, to push back against any and all authorities, and unfortunately, in many cases, in most cases, that's included pushing back against the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. But I want to let you know that when Jesus is involved, authority is far from detrimental. It's far from a negative. It's far from hurtful. In fact, it's for our great benefit and it's for our great good that Jesus operates from a position of authority. And so as we study these verses quickly this morning, we're going to see his authority in what he says, in who he is, and in what he does. And so I want to do a little compare and contrast. Life under the authority of Jesus Christ versus life outside the authority of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this quickly. Without the authority of Jesus Christ, I, I can kind of pick up three things here from this particular passage that you'll experience. Without the authority of Jesus Christ, first of all, there's confusion. In these verses, verse 22 in particular, they were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching as one having authority. This new teaching they're experiencing from Jesus Christ was not like anything they were used to from their regular teachers. These scribes... Uh, one of the main differences was they, they relied on authorities. They would quote different people, and they would say, so-and-so said this, and, and this other scribe or rabbi said this, and they just would quote other people and really had no authority on their own. They just sort of pulled from everyone else, and that's what they taught about. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he teaches and preaches from his own authority. He doesn't quote anybody else except God. Only God could quote God, if you understand what I mean. He shows up and things are totally different. He was the authority on every matter. And that's what's so amazing about his teaching. He taught on his own authority and he amazed all the people who listened. And so when they heard him, it's like a breath of fresh air. They were used to, to their own authorities abusing them and setting up elaborate hoops for them to jump through. Turn with me real quick, back a few pages to Matthew 23. Let me give you a quick example of what Jesus would have to say about the teaching of the scribes. This would tell you about their confusion and why Jesus shows up on the scene, and it's such a breath of fresh air, so welcome his teaching. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses, as if they're in a position of authority. Therefore, do what they tell you to observe, to, tell you and observe it but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them they do everything to be observed by others they enlarge their phylacteries that's the, the jewish things they used to wear on their heads and lengthen their tassels they love the place of honor at banquets the front seats in the synagogues greetings in the market marketplaces and to be called rabbi by people well, that's who was in charge. That's, that's why when Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins to teach a new authority, 
the authority of God himself, not these scribes, they say, this is amazing. We've never seen anything like this before. These people were tired of being told to jump through a bunch of hoops to get to God. Jesus shows up and says, God has come to you. Stop jumping through the hoops. He's here. Their scribes taught without authority and it caused confusion. And our world's really not that much different if you think about it. Our confusion may not stem from listening to Jewish scribes and rabbis teach, but our society still lives out from under the authority of Jesus Christ. We, in most cases, have so elevated ourselves, our own thoughts, our own experiences, and our own feelings to a position of authority, and that's what we live by. And unfortunately, we in America, as a result, are deeply confused about life, about what is right and wrong, about where we're going, about what's important. There's a book called Souls in Transition by a guy named Christian Smith, and it's a uh, survey result, basically. He wrote the findings of a survey among young people. Let me tell you, here's what is going on in our young adults and teenagers today. Now, if you think, well, let's just rant against them. No, no, no. We've got to do something in our own selves to help them, and it starts by us living under the authority of Jesus. Here's what his results said. Individual autonomy, unbounded tolerance, Freedom from authorities, the affirmation of pluralism, that's any way gets you to God if you just believe it strongly, the centrality of human self-consciousness, the practical value of moral religion, skepticism, and an instinctive aversion to anything dogmatic or committed to particulars were routinely taken for granted by respondents. Do you hear some of those words? Autonomy, tolerance, freedom from authorities, pluralism, centrality of the human self-consciousness, self being in control. That's what our living out from under the authority of Jesus Christ has produced in our young people. Now, if you want to get mad at young people, we want to get mad at the millennials because they have no moral compass. With all the grace that I can muster, we've got to first look in the mirror. We have to first turn the mirror on ourselves and evaluate, do we live under the authority of Jesus Christ? Or are we partly responsible for the confusion our young people experience because we have not lived under the authority of Jesus Christ and provided them that foundation in our homes? I can't say that for every person that wonders from Christ that there was something wrong with their home. That's not what I'm trying to paint the picture as. But I think before we rail against young people and just get on them, and there may be a time for that, We've got to turn the mirror on ourselves. It infiltrates that attitude, every aspect of society. This confusion goes from the young to the old, from the ordinary to the office of president of the United States. We are confused about what is right and wrong because we no longer live under the authority of Jesus Christ. We live now under our own authority. So tolerance is our guide doesn't matter what you believe, just believe it strongly. We consider everyone to be right so long as they don't say anyone else is wrong. It makes no sense whatsoever. That pattern in society cannot sustain itself. It will collapse at some point. It's going to have to. We can't all be right. <laughs> we can't. Our truth is now relevant, and it's redefined according to the need of the moment or the feelings and experiences of the people that are involved. Marriage can now believe what it be whatever someone wants it to be and believes it should be. Ethics change whenever our circumstances dictate that they need to change. Commitment now lasts only so long as we feel committed. We're a confused people. 
because we don't live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Without the authority of Jesus, there is great confusion. It was true in the Gospel of Mark, and it's true now. Also, without the authority of Jesus, there is judgment. Verses 23 and 24 of Mark chapter 1. Quote the, the evil spirit, the unclean spirit inside this man. Verse 24, what do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The evil spirit knew that Jesus had the authority to destroy it. His authority was based on his absolute holiness and perfection. And that evil spirit couldn't remain in the presence of Jesus if Jesus decided to drive it out. You sense that great fear in the demon's voice. Are you, are you here to get rid of us? He knew he had the authority to do it. But Jesus, because of his holiness and perfection, could drive out evil. That evil spirit faced judgment on that day as he's eventually cast out of that man. And he will face, that same evil spirit will face eternal judgment one day in the presence of Jesus cast into an eternal hell. And we look at that and we say, well, well, a demon sure deserves that. Look at all the chaos they've caused in our world, evil that exists in our world. But the scripture is clear that those whose faith is not in Jesus Christ, those who refuse to live under his authority and his grace, will face the same fate as that evil spirit will one day face. And that includes, unfortunately, even the good people that you know. Because if those good people who may be nice to you and good co-workers and neighbors and so on, if those quote-unquote good people do not recognize their own sinfulness, their own inability to save themselves, if they don't recognize the truth about the love, the grace, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if they don't recognize Him as the only God-given way for salvation, if they don't recognize their own need for Jesus Christ, they'll face judgment as sinners results in eternal hell that's the truth from scripture without the authority of Jesus there's judgment you live out from under it and unfortunately that's where you're bound and also without the authority of Jesus there are chains look at verse 25 but Jesus rebuked him and said be quiet and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsed him shouted with a loud voice and came out of him Verse 27, they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. The man who had that demon that day was delivered because of the authority of Jesus, and because Jesus had that authority to cast it out by just one word. Come out of him. Get out, he says. Without the authority of Jesus, this man was hopeless. He had no chance of being set free apart from the authority of Jesus Christ manifest in his life. The people are amazed at the Lord's teachings and at his, at his authority over evil spirits. And just like this guy is controlled by this demon, the people who were listening to Jesus were in chains to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's as if all at once Jesus sets free this man and sets free this people to understand his truth and the nature of his authority. Because until they came under his authority and his teaching, they had no chance of being set free from the power and the penalty of sin. And like them, that we, if we're on the outside of the authority of Jesus Christ, out from under it, we have no way of being turned loose by the ever-changing nature of popular thought and the tendencies of society. 
All of that, of course, is the bad news. What happens when you live outside the judgment of Jesus Christ? But there's good news. There's good news because God made it possible for us to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. And with the authority of Jesus comes truth. Not confusion, but now truth. That truth comes directly from God. John chapter 1 talks about that Jesus himself is the very word of God, the revelation of God in its final form. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus. Jesus brings truth directly from God. And when we live under the authority of Jesus Christ, we receive fresh and powerful instruction and truth for our lives. So there's no more confusion when you're under the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul would write in 2 Timothy about the instruction of Scripture. And he'd say it's good for teaching, for helping you know right from wrong. It's good for rebuking. He said to call us back when we've crossed the line and entered into sin. It's good for correcting, for setting us back up and helping us get back to where God wants us to be. It's good for training, he says, giving us a path to follow. Under the authority of Jesus, we get truth directly from God. That's also truth that's unchanging, that you can count on and build your life on. It doesn't change with the whims and the needs of society. It doesn't move around in the storms that we face. It's an anchor that holds you where you are. You can base your life on it. It's unchanging. And it's also life-altering. That truth that Jesus gives us directly from God that's unchanging is life-altering. Over and over and over we see this in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. That truth that Jesus paid for your sins, that He offers you a free gift of salvation. And for those who believe, He gives His Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life of obedience. That truth is life-altering and it sets you free. With the authority of Jesus comes truth. Also with His authority comes holiness. Verse 24, the demon calls out, You are the Holy One of God. There's only one man that can claim that title. And you're not looking at him. That man is not seated physically anywhere in this room. The only one who can claim the title, the Holy One of God, is Jesus Christ Himself. And amazingly, on the cross, He exchanged His holiness for a curse. He took our sin and He gave us His righteousness so that we can escape the judgment of God against sin. There's only one who's worthy to stand in the presence of God the Father, and that is the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ Himself, the sinless Son of God. The only way we can enter the presence of God the Father is on the basis of the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ that's received not because of our own efforts, but simply by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And when we live under His authority, we gain His holiness and access to God the Father. With Jesus comes truth and holiness and finally freedom. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet. And come out of him, verse 26. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. For those who are trapped by evil and by sin, just like this man in Mark, Jesus provides freedom when you live under his authority. For those who in the crowd at this time were deceived by the teachings and following a false system set up by these scribes and Pharisees, there is freedom to know the truth. For those who would get the news, as it says in verse 28, his fame then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. For those who would get that news, which includes us, eventually down the road, we know about now his holiness, his freedom, that totally releases us from all of our obligations to follow some set of rules, but only to love Jesus Christ. 
There's freedom in Christ Jesus, but it only comes when you live under His authority. The truth is, unfortunately, that most people in our society are cynical about authority. But there is an authority that will leave you amazed and overwhelmed. Speechless, just as these people were. So there's a choice for us to make this morning. As you turn the mirror on yourself and evaluate where you are right now with the authority of Jesus Christ, maybe your prayer would be something like this. Jesus, Son of God, I believe in you alone, you alone for salvation, and I submit to your authority. Tired of confusion? I'm tired of fearing judgment. I'm tired of living in chains. And I want your truth. I want your holiness. I want your freedom. And maybe today you just pray as you see the response of these people in Mark 1. Lord Jesus, overwhelm me. Amaze me with who you are. Maybe that's all you can muster this morning in the midst of your life circumstances. And you just say, overwhelm me. Amaze me. I want your truth. I want your holiness. I want your freedom. At the end of our service uh, here in just a moment, we're going to participate in a symbol of the overwhelming and amazing grace and nature of Jesus Christ as we take communion. Uh, We're going to remember and celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross. I'm going to ask our deacons, if you would, to come forward who will be serving. And for... For those who will remain seated at this point, I'd like for you to do something that the Scripture instructs us to do before we take the Lord's Supper, before we take communion, and that is to examine your hearts. Paul made it clear that we should examine ourselves and see what is going on inside of us before we take the Lord's Supper. So I ask you, do you, do you truly know Jesus? You placed your faith in Him? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life that you need to simply bow before the Lord this morning and say, God, I confess this. Please forgive me. Is there anyone today that maybe you need to go to and say, I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness as well. Are you living under the authority of Jesus Christ? Evaluate yourself this morning. See where you stand with the Lord. Ask Him to reveal you and then confess any sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and let God make you whole the way He created you to be.